Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse from the sermon series God on Film, spoken by Pastor IJ Hera. So, a lot of people didn't know this. Um, a lot of people actually didn't like this movie. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. But uh, this is actually a second part two of a trilogy. So that's why like, some people were like, so confused. But anyways, whatever. Yeah, so um, with that being said, uh, just to set this movie up, this is about the multiverse. And as the name says, it's mul the multiverse is multiple universes, right? Um, and that means anything's possible. That's why we see like all these different Spider-Man. Sometimes you see like a spider T-Rex or like a spider pig or it's just like anything's possible, all right? That's the multiverse. I just want to get, get some like background information for that. But anyways, uh, the movie starts actually not with one but two introductions of Spider-Gwen, she's the girl, and then uh, Miles Morales. Um, both are very different, as you can see, but... Uh, they both are feeling lost in life, and they're having the sense of a lack of identity. So as Spider-Man, they have to hide their identity from everyone they love, right? So it's like, man, who am I? Like, am I this teenager or am I Spider-Man? Um, there's this lack of belonging. Um, they, up until this film, at least in the intro, they haven't told their parents that they're Spider-Man. So, so when, when their friends and their family are like, oh yeah, we love and we embrace you, it's like, well, do you really? Like, if you knew who I was, would you really accept me? And there's a lack of purpose. There's a lack of purpose because Spider-Man, uh, well, this is a fun fact, um, in the comic books, Spider-Man actually takes on all the Avengers and he defeats all of them. Anyways, that's, that's in another universe, but it's all to say Spider-Man's really powerful, but what's the point of having all that strength if you can't even save the people you love? This is the burden of Spider-Man. And throughout the whole film, we see them desperately trying to find and make their own identity, belonging, and purpose. But in pursuit of this, they actually come across a group called the Spider Society, which is this. It's a bunch of Spider-Men. And I mean, it sounds pretty cool, right? It's like, wow, I'm not alone. Like, there's a bunch of me out there. And their purpose is to save the multiverse from collapsing. And that sounds beautiful, too. But we later on in the film find out it's by any means necessary. Um, so these quote unquote good guys, they're not necessarily what they, they're not what they seem to be. Like Spider-Man, many of us kind of feel like that, too, I think. I think many of us have this lack of identity this lack of belonging, this lack of purpose. Um, I got married four months ago, and as a newlywed couple myself, I think the question that my, myself and my wife asked is like, man, like, where do we belong, right? Like, we just had our friends in single, singleness, and then now we're trying to find uh, this new place of belonging at, in this new stage of life. Like, what does that look like? Or I know some of my friends who have just given birth recently, and, and a lot of my friends who are very career-oriented women are like, man, I just love my career. I'm a career woman. That's what I'm known for. And now I'm a mom, right? It's like, what's my identity? And all of us have that. Or maybe for some of you, your life's going really great, but there's this lack of purpose. Like, what am I exactly called to do? I don't have to live paycheck, paycheck. I have a pretty good life, but what exactly am I called to do? And many of us feel this burden and weight in life. However, unlike movies and how our world operates, we don't have to make our own meaning. We don't have to find our own purpose. We don't have to find our own identity. We don't have to create our own belonging. We actually have a God who invites us to all of that. We have a God who is actually blessing us over and over. The God who is inviting us, find your identity, find your belonging, find your purpose in all of me. And when you ask the question, am I enough for blessings? Do I have what it takes? We have a God that says yes. 
So please turn with me to Joshua 1, verses 1 to 9. And we're going to delve deep into how even though God's people, they're just desperately trying to find their own purpose, make their own meaning. Uh, they're trying to create their own community, do what they think is right. And they're failing over and over. God's just pursuing over and over. And he's just not giving up. And he's just continuing to bless because that's the kind of God he is. So we're going to read Joshua 1, 1 to 9. I'm going to read from the NIV. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, new sixth graders, um, if you don't have a Bible, I got this for you. <laughs> I just thought I, I would, I would uh, uh, yeah, let you know. Yeah, because I know a lot of you don't have Bibles. But anyways, it's a little fruity, but it's a Bible, okay? Anyways, all right, I'm going to read. Um, all right, I'm going to read for us. All right. Um, so Joshua 1, 1 to 9. All right. So this is what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep, these, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the word of our Lord. Let me pray for us before we start. Um, God of grace, mercy, and love. Um, like this iconic figure, Spider-Man, some of us, we feel that kind of a weight and burden. Some of us, Lord are just wrestling through the seasons of life. And things can be good, and we can feel good things, but yet this aching, this gnawing question is on our hearts. But Father God, can we find and know that actually you are the God who blesses us over and over, realizing that as we seek you and find you, you are the God who is constantly seeking and looking for us. So Father God, as uh, you know, take apart this text, and as we as a congregation just listen to your word, may we truly be a church that is a church of blessings, and that we may live our lives from blessings and not for it. Thank you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before I start with the sermon points and all that, um, I, I'm gonna ask, I mean, answer two questions. It's who is Joshua? Some of you are like, who the heck is this Joshua guy? And what is blessings? Um, and for the youth group kids, to compensate your time, I cut you high too, all right? So if, you, if you're like, wow, Pastor Ajay, I learned blah, 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 I will give you one high too, all right? Max five, all right? But anyways, just this is for you, okay? Um, so yeah, let me, let me just jump right in. So who is Joshua? Uh, we see that Joshua is actually a faithful guy. I'm going to read Numbers 13 and 14. Um, but just giving, giving context to this, uh, God is sending 
12 spies into the promised land, into, into the land to explore. Uh, but what they find out is not what they thought. And um, even though majority of them tremble in fear, Joshua does not. So this is what we're going to read. Numbers 13, 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses his account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The, Am- uh, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Numbers 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down in front of the whole Israelite uh, um, assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. You know, I read that to us because Joshua is a man of faith, of great faith. I mean, you have to understand like where the Israelites are coming from. I think a lot of times we read the Bible and we're like, man, these idiots, like how do they not get it? They have the God of the universe on their side, but you and I would probably be the same way. Like think about it in today's context. It's like Metro Community Church. You're going up against Russia, China, Japan, France, and I don't know, someone throw in another superpower in there. Like anybody? (laughs) Okay, no superpower. It's okay. Yeah, name a fifth one. But anyways, yeah. Oh, for you, Han, the Philippines, I got you. But anyways, no. But anyways, it's like you got these superpowers, right? It's like, whoa. And we have to go up against all of them. And you don't have a singer, single nuclear weapon. Like you, we'd be pretty terrified. But Joshua and Caleb are like, no, we got the God of the universe on our side. Don't be afraid. We're going to devour them. God's going to provide. Man, if any of the pastors said that, I would quit. <laughs> it's like, we're going to go up against all these nations? Are you kidding me? Like, we barely have people for Metro Olympics, you know? Like, how are we going to go up against these pa- people? So you have to empathize with Israel. Like, this is a big deal. Um, but Joshua, he's a man of faith. He's a man of unwavering faith. And he has just such big faith in a big God. So that's who Joshua is. And the sw- second question we should ask is, wait, what's blessings? What, are, what exactly are blessings? And in the simplest way, in the most simplest uh, term is blessings, it's God shares who he is with others. That's what blessings is. We see this in Genesis. You know when God says, be fruitful and multiply to Adam and Eve before they did anything? God is sharing himself with them. God is able to say, be fruitful and multiply because God is a God of life. God is able to say to Joshua, be strong and courageous because he is a God of strength and courage. 
That is what blessings are. You're sharing who you are with the other. Specifically, it's God sharing himself with the other. So now that we answered those two questions, um, I want us to get to the main point of our sermon of how do we exactly bless one another the way God blesses us? And what we see God do, he does two things with Joshua. Is The first point is he imparts his will and prophecy. Say will and prophecy. Oh my God, so ecstatic. Awesome. Okay, so <laughs> Joshua 1, 1 to 5, I'm going to read it for us real quick. Is um, Reread it. Is after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. God is telling Joshua that, hey, this is going to happen. And us as readers of the Bible, we actually know this happens. We know that Joshua conquers the land. We know that they are actually really successful. But what God does here is he is, or what prophecy in the Bible is, it's actually not foretelling of events, but it's foretelling of God's will. So what's the difference between those two? Foretelling is saying, hey, at 8.05 a.m., you're going to die at a Starbucks because you choked on a strawberry. Like, like that's foretelling, right? That's like this, this, and that's going to happen. But foretelling is bestowing blessings, convictions, and strength to God's people to overcome the situation and move into his purposes. It's God imparting his heart to his people. That is forthtelling. That's what prophecy is. And the thing about prophecy is that, and well, the scary thing for us is you don't know the details of prophecy. And this is what I mean. God is telling Joshua, hey, this is going to happen. You're going to cross over. You're going to do these things. But what Joshua doesn't know is the hardships he has to face as a leader. What Joshua doesn't know is that he's actually going to be spying out in a land of, of um, the land of Canaan. And actually some of the Canaanites are actually going to turn to God. What Joshua doesn't know is that in Joshua 6, God actually makes the walls of Jericho fall, not through violence, but faith. What Joshua doesn't know is actually one of his people steals and lies in the city of Ai and God punishes him. I mean, and so on and so forth. God... Joshua does not know every detail of the event that is to occur, but he has faith in a God who does. That is prophecy. And the beautiful thing about our God is God is an unpredictable God. I know we want God to be predictable. I know we want him to fit into our little tight-knit Google calendar. But God, he is an unpredictable God. If God becomes predictable, he actually ceases to be God in our lives. It's not that God doesn't know every step of the way. He does. But if God told you every step of the way of your life and you knew everything that was going to happen, I don't know if we would follow him. I don't know if Joshua knew all the hardships, the heaviness of the weight of leadership. I don't know if Joshua would enter that land. Or even with Mary and Joseph giving birth to Christ, I don't know if they would have followed through if God was like, hey, you're going to get persecuted. This is what's going to happen. Your son's going to die. Everyone's going to turn. Like, none of us would follow God. But God is an unpredictable God, and he doesn't seek you and I to know every step of the way, but he seeks our devotion. 
more than the actual events and details of future events, God is imparting his heart to his people. We see in the movie in, um, in Spider-Man that uh, Miles Morales' introduction is, he just goes his day as Spider-Man, but everything is going wrong. He's trying to save people. He's trying to help. He's trying to be this formidable Spider-Man, but he is failing his friends. He's failing his family. He doesn't attend a meeting with his parents and guidance counselor for his college applications. He misses class. He even misses his dad's promotion from being officer, a police officer, to captain. Although Miles and his parents, they, they, you know, get, they get into an argument and he feels so misunderstood, there's actually this one scene I want to highlight between Miles and his mom. It's this very scene before things start going crazy. But Miles' mother could see, man, there's something going on with my son. I don't know the details. I, like, she doesn't even know he's Spider-Man. But a mother's instinct is like, there's something going on with my son and I just need to embrace him. It's in this scene, she is just showering him with love and saying, I love you. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you're doing. You're a little crazy and unpredictable, but I'm here for you. And can you just promise me that you'll protect that little child that I love? You're our son and don't let anyone take that away from you. I think that was probably one of the most beautiful lines in this movie because right after this, that's when we see things going to flames. We see later in the film, uh, Miles, he, he meets the spider society, but they're not what he thinks, right? Like he's this teenager and he's like, oh my gosh, like I have people that to look up to, people that will understand me, other Spider-Man. But what we find out is the leader of the group, his name is Miguel O'Hara, very chiseled man, very chiseled man, but he is not the nicest guy. He's not the nicest guy. And we've, we've heard it throughout the trailer he actually starts shaming Miles, and he's like, you're a mistake. You're not even supposed to be here. Actually, the reason uh, Miguel even started this, according to his word, he's like, it's your fault, man. Man, if you didn't create all of these chain reactions in the multiverse, I wouldn't have had to do this. Like, he's just shaming him, shaming him, shaming him. And, I mean, if you think about it, if you were one person being shamed by a leader of a whole elite society, and you felt like, oh my goodness, all these spider people are against me. I think we would quiver in fear. But that's actually not what Miles does. He actually chooses to go against them and say, I am not, I'm not going to believe what you say to me. I'm not a mistake. I actually have a greater purpose. But you see, just like how Miles' mother imparts blessings and her heart, God is imparting blessings by imparting his will and his heart to not only Israel, but to us. So how do we do this? How do we, man, how do we impart this same will, God's heart, the way God has imparted his will and his heart to us? I want to share it's through prayer. Through prayer. I, I, I will share my personal story with prayers. Um, I know this might be shocking, but actually I didn't like to pray until recently. <laughs> I know I'm a pastor, but like I didn't like to pray. Um, and the reason I didn't like to pray is because growing up, when I was around nine, eight or nine, I, my family and I, we moved around like eight times within 10 years of our life. But um, back when I was, yeah, around eight or nine, I lived in Pennsylvania and we went to this really big church and they're super charismatic. Um, very like in tune with the spirit, which is great. Nothing against that. But what happened one day is um, it was like a Wednesday night. They were having a midday worship. And uh, the, the kids and I, we were just playing a water balloon fight, right? 
I know in the church, you're not supposed to, but we did it. But like, we were, we were having a water balloon fight, and one of the older kids slipped on the water, and he banged his head on the floor, and he started having a seizure. Um, the adults came out, and like I said, it's a very charismatic church, and the elders and the pastors of that church were like, oh my God, it's a demon. So they were just like praying over this kid who's having a seizure. And my dad comes out, he's like, no, that's a seizure. Like, we need to call the ambulance right now. But the head pastor looked at my dad, he's like, if you call the ambulance, we're gonna, like, I'm gonna kick you out of church because, like, you're not, you're not, like, spiritual enough. Like, you're not holy enough. And my dad was like, it's fine with me, man, but that kid needs to go to the hospital. So my dad called the ambulance, and um, luckily that guy uh, made it. And the, uh, you know, the paramedics were like, man, if you called a minute later, he would have been paralyzed from the neck down. But because of that, uh, we got kicked out of the church, and, and I hated prayer. I was like, man, Holy Spirit. You are the useless part of the Trinity. Like, you kicked my family out of church. Yo, prayer, like, prayer sucks. I hate praying for people. Every time I pray, like, then that's what I associate. Like, when I pray for someone, like, like, it's just, it was so traumatic for me. So whenever someone was like, yo, man, like, could you, could you pray for me? I'm like, yo, sure, man. Just like, I like whip out my phone, like a script. You know, they're closing their eyes. They don't see it. Like, I'm just like, yo, this is just as good, man. Whatever. You know, chat GPT hit me up with a prayer. Like, like anything, you know, I just, I, I was so hurt. I didn't want to pray. But it wasn't until I came to Metro, I realized how powerful prayer could be. And I didn't realize um, how God actually uh, gifted me with prophetic praying and like prophetic prayers um, and prophetic dreams. And like I said, prophecy is not future telling. That's not what it is, but it's, it's sharing God's heart with another. And it has just been such a blessing and a transformative time for me as a pastor. Like I, I really didn't like praying for people, but man, there would be moments where you know, I'd have such vivid dreams about some people in our congregation. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's so weird. I don't know if I can tell them this. But I know it's from God when like, wow, I'm like doing my business in the bathroom or washing dishes and I think about that dream. You know what I mean? I'm like, dang, I think this is God. I should probably tell them. So like I would pass by some congregation members and be like, hey, I don't know you too well, but I just had this dream about you. I don't know if it resonates. And they're just bawling their eyes out in the middle of the hallway. And that's the power of prayer. It's not your prayer. It's not mine. It's the heart of God. That's how you can impart God's will. It's through something simple like a prayer. And what, something so beautiful and I, what I want to encourage everyone is like, man, if a guy like me with all that baggage and trauma and a guy like me, this one measly guy could bless someone, well, how beautiful would it be if we as a church was just a church of prayer? Man, if we as a church, we didn't just pray for each other when we have the prayer stations, that we didn't just pray for each other when like we had time at home. Or I know for some of us, we say, hey, thoughts and prayers after I get into my car and after I arrive at home and after I have downtime, and then maybe I'll pray for you. But what if we as a church were saying, hey, on the spot, I'm going to pray for you right here and right now. I'm going to impart God's heart onto your life. How great of a church would that be? And I want to challenge everyone actually a step further. In addition to our prayers, there's this quote by Abraham Heschel. He's a Jewish philosopher. In the, um, he was very popular in the 1950s. But um, Abraham Heschel says this. He says, pray with, your free, uh, pray with your feet. As we pray, do. And as we do, 
pray. He's one of the few people that marched with MLK Jr. during the Civil Rights Movement. And this is, what, that, that's what he, this is the wisdom that he imparts to us. And what I want to encourage everyone is not just with your thoughts and prayer, but I want to invite your thoughts and prayer into service and actually the politics of this church. And I know some of you heard that. You're like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not getting into any politics. But actually the word politics, it just means oversight of people. It just means caring for people. It just means um, t- taking care of the affairs of, of people. So I'm not telling you to go to the voting, voting booth. I'm not really telling you to, uh, you know, get into leadership and, like, try to, like, make this and that happen. But I, what I want to invite you into is through your prayer and thoughts, Bring it to the table. Think about ways. How can we actually shepherd our church? That's the politics I'm talking about. Whenever there's people involved, there is always, always politics. Doesn't matter if it's at work, home, and church. But how great would it be if you brought your thoughts and prayers to this church? How great would it be as in your service and, and, and serving the least of these that we could actually change and move by imparting the heart of God to one another? That's what I want to invite you into. The second way that we can impart God's blessing is instilling God's faithfulness. Say faithfulness. faithfulness. In the second part of Joshua uh, 1, 1, verse 1 to 9, God is continually blessing Joshua. He is continually instilling his faithfulness upon him. This is what it says. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God is imparting blessings to Joshua, but this time he's reminding God, I mean, he's reminding Joshua of God's faithfulness throughout all of Israel's history. And I'm going to actually break apart everything we just read. Some of you are like, well, what does this all mean? So verse five, when he says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. You got to think about who's this guy, Moses, Moses, the, the, um, the Mo- Moses, the man with baggage who led a whole nation as out of Egypt. Moses, the man in the wilderness. Moses, the man who went through trials and temptation. Actually, Israel tested or um, complained against God seven times. Moses, the guy who, who saw the face of God. God is saying, yeah, that guy, Moses, I'm going to be with you. You think the stuff I did with him was amazing? I'm going to be with you. Verse 6, you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors. You got to, I mean, it makes you stop and think, like, what is he talking about? Which ancestor? Is he saying Joshua, the son of Nun? No, God is actually referring all the way back to Genesis 12, 1 to 3, when God made the promise with Abraham. What he said to Abraham is like, I'm going to make you a great nation. Through you, you will bless the nations and you will bless the world. God is telling Joshua, man, I'm not even talking, more than Moses, more than Israel, more than all of your ancestors, I'm going way back to where it all started. And I'm telling you that promise I'm going to fulfill. I have not forgotten. 
That is the kind of faithfulness God is instilling to Joshua. Verse 7 to 8. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from, the le- from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. You know, when I first read this, I'm like, yes, man. I try to instill this on my youth group kids all the time. Don't disobey me, right? Or maybe parents are like, this is beautiful. Listen to us all the time. But that's not what God's saying. That's actually not what God is saying. You see, the book of the law or Torah, it means the way of life. The Torah, it consists of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And in Jewish culture um, and in Jewish understanding, there is about 619 laws that Israel had to uphold. And some of you are like, I'm not going to memorize 619. But when God is telling um, Joshua to keep the book of the law, it's not, it is not be a perfectionist. Because God knows Israel, I mean, if history tells us, Israel has been messing up quite well. But the purpose of the law, it is to point to the faithfulness of God. There's this quote that Martin Luther from the Reformation period says. This is how he describes the law. The law is a mighty hammer that drives us to the cross. That is the purpose of the law. It's not to hammer you down and and, and show how you need to live up to a standard. But the law of God is actually to show us, I can't do it, but God, you can That is the purpose of the law. God is imparting blessings, reminding him, instilling the faithfulness to Israel, to Joshua, and to all of mankind. You see, we we come to a second part of the movie with Gwen Stacy, uh, Spider-Gwen. And she receives like a lot of, lot of crap because she's friends with, um, uh, with Miles Morales. Like she gets blamed for a lot of things. You know, Miguel O'Hara's like, man, it's your fault. You're his friend. You were, that's your responsibility. Man, if you never, you would have never, blah, blah, blah. And like, he's just shaming her over and over. And what Miguel O'Hara ends up doing, he, he just excommunicates her. He's like, you're, you're wasting my time. You're useless. You're not part of the bigger picture. And you see Gwen Stacy, she's back in her universe and she's trying to figure out ways to help Miles, but she feels so hopeless. But the first thing she does is to go back home. She left something at home, and she's like, okay, maybe I can find something there. But she bumps into her dad, and there's this moment. I don't know if you guys, yes, it's that one. Okay, there's this moment that I think is so crucial to the movie. And the reason this is so crucial is because actually right before this, they were fighting. And before them fighting, the reason they're fighting is because her father is the captain of the police um, department. And he has been chasing Spider-Man because he thinks Spider-Man's a bad guy only to realize he's like, oh my gosh, Spider-Man's my own daughter. And they're just fighting and yelling at each other. And she's like, man, just do your job. You're a police officer. Just arrest me. They're, they're not understanding. But the director and writer of this film was so purposeful about the coloring. And as you see the coloring, it's starting to fade. There, it, you, you don't really see a certain color. And as they're talking with each other, you see more and more of the imagery of the, of the background color just fading. And the reason the director said this is because at that moment of reconciliation, there was nothing else that mattered except the love between a father and daughter. That it was not captain of the police department versus Spider-Man, but it was Gwen Stacy and her father. And it was in this moment 
that like Miles' mother, Gwen's dad's like, hey kid, like I, you look like you have a mission. You look like there's something big going on. But I just want to remind you, like I, I quit the police force. After he found out his daughter was Spider-Man, he quit the police force because he's like, none of that matters. All that matters is that you are my daughter and I know there's something ahead of you and I bless you and encourages her and affirms her to do what she has to do. And it's actually in this moment, the thing that changes for Gwen is she starts having this realization and epiphany and strength. Um, just, oh man, there's like so much about those movies. But there's this term in this movie, it's called a canon event, right? So long story short, canon events in this movie is that it's things that have to happen. So for example, in every Spider-Verse, Every Spider-Man has to lose their best friend. Every Spider-Man gets bitten by a spider. Every spider, like, do you, do you kind of get, you're tracking with me, right? It's like, these are things that have to happen for them to be Spider-Man. Um, but one of the things that has to happen for every Spider-Man is they have to lose the captain of the police force. Like, the captain of the police force is going to die. But at that moment, she realized, oh my goodness, when I was vulnerable with my dad and my dad was vulnerable with me, he actually quit being the police officer so what does that mean? He's not going to die. What does that mean? Canon events don't always have to happen. I could actually change the future. I could make a difference. You see, church, what's happening here with Joshua is if, that, if, jo if God never instilled his faithfulness upon Joshua, if God never blessed Joshua, I don't know if Joshua could have done what he did. But God is actually telling Joshua, hey, be strong and courageous, not once, not twice, but three times, and saying, you have what it takes. I'm with you all the way. Church, we have, a gener we have not only one generation, but we have generations of people in our church family that are longing for blessings. We are habitually seeking for blessings and not living our lives from it. But what if we as a church were to embody God's faithfulness and impart blessing and to instill that blessing and tell one another, you're already blessed by God. You have what it takes. That many of us have Jebusites, Canaanites, Amorites ahead of us. We have these burdens. We have these things that are in our lives. And sometimes we don't know if we could do it. But what if we were a church to say, no, you can because God can that you don't have anything to prove to anyone because you are already blessed. You see, I, I uh, recently came back from South Africa trip with 23 people. And like, you know, people ask all the time and I was like, man, yo, it was stressful. It was hard because I was hard. It was hard for the kids because I was hard on the kids. And the first couple of days, it was like everything was going wrong. Like we, I, I mean, we planned like nine months for this and like nothing, like yo, schedule out the window like nothing was going according to plan we were an hour late to our connecting flight and then from the connecting flight like we barely made it I mean like I had to bribe the guy I was like please please let us get on the plane like we cannot take the next morning and he's like I'm sorry sir I'm like I will pay you and he's like we have all the time in the world man like hold that plane for this group and I'm like oh my goodness like there's so much stress and I mean like Day after day, there were so many challenges. But in my shame and in my anger and my failure of a leader, I ended up just shaming our kids. I ended up just getting angry at them. I ended up just shaking my head. I'm like, man, I'm really disappointed in you. I expected more from you. Man, why didn't you just do this? And man, I was just so angry. Halfway through the trip, 
by the grace of God, like I had a couple kids just come up to me and be like, man, Pastor IJ, like we love you as a pastor, but sometimes the things you say and do, it hurts. It really hurts. And at that moment, like, I mean, I just want to just give in context. There are some staff members. I've been on staff for almost six years. They have not shed, seen me shed a tear for the f- six years I was on staff, but I was just bawling. I was like, I am so sorry. I can't believe I've been hurting the kids that I love. And, and I said it to them, and I'll say it to our congregation, as much as I love Metro, as much as I respect Pastor Peter, the best thing that has happened to me at Metro is my youth group. That is the best thing that has happened to me. They are the biggest blessings in my life. More than the amazing staff, more than the amazing congregation members, more than the friends I made, it's the youth group. They are the biggest blessings that I had at Metro. And to know that I was the one that was at the root of their shame and hurt and the pain, I was like wrecked. But what wrecked me even more is after, you know, after that night, um, you know, I was so, so blessed that they forgave me. I'm like, thank you for just forgiving me and loving me as a pastor, even though I don't deserve that. What hurt me actually even more is when every day after that, some of the kids were like, Pastor Ajay, are you proud of me? Like, I did this. I did that, that, that. Like, are you proud of me? And they're just constantly looking for that. Like, one of the kids even called me dad in Korean. I was like, what? I was like, God, too early. Like, you know, and they're just like, yo, Appa. I'm like, no, yo, like, like I can't. And, and the reason I share this story with you all is because just like these kids, at the depth of their soul asking, am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Am I good enough for you? All of us are, are asking that same question. Am I enough? Am I, am I man enough? Am I woman enough? Am I good enough to receive your love and blessing? You see, if people do not find blessings in the church, they will seek it elsewhere. If people do not know the truth that they are already blessed and loved by God, they will seek it elsewhere. And it's a scary thought to know and even just imagine like, man, where are they going to find that? You know, there's a saying, it's called, it takes a village to raise a child. And it truly does. And I'm not just talking about our youth group kids. I'm not just talking about children's ministry. I'm talking about the child of God that rests in each of us. There's a child that is seeking to be loved in singles ministry. There's a child in singles ministry asking, am I enough? Do I have what it takes Am I fulfilled? Am I good enough? There's a child in Newlywed asking, am I enough? Why is it so hard to find community at times? There's a child that is in, I wouldn't want to say older, but the more seasoned parents. Am I enough? Do I have what it takes to love my child? I'm going through a hard time. Do I have what it takes? There's a child in those of us who are in about retirement age. I've been working my whole entire life. Like, who am I? Am I enough? Do I have what it takes? There's a child in each and every one of us asking that question, and I'm here to tell you, yes, yes, you are enough because God says so. And how could, if man, if God is telling us you are enough, you are blessed, you are going to inherit this, you, this, if God is saying that, how can we do that for one another? And I think one of the best ways we can do that for one another as a church, how we can instill faithfulness in one another is through mentorship. And this mentorship, I want to let you know, it's, it's not what you think. And I want, I want our church to kind of expand in thought about mentorship. Whenever I bring up mentorship, or whenever actually any of the pastors bring up any kind of a- a- applicable points, the first thing that comes into mind for people is like, so what program do we have? 
And I want to encourage you, get out of that mentality of looking for program and why don't you see and love the person in front of you? You know, one of, one of the greatest mentors I had and my wife had was actually the Hosangs. Pastor David and Betty, um, once a month, uh, we would just go over to their house. We would learn how to cook. I'd like bombard them with all these questions about what's it like, be, you know, what's it like being married? Like, what's, what's it like, um, uh, you know, being in your, in your uh, stage of life? Like, what are advice? Like, I would just bombard them with these questions, and we would just hang out with them all the time. And I don't, th- I don't think if you ask them, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we mentored IJ. But, like, to me, they mentored me. You know, Betty taught me how to cook. Pastor David taught me how to have actual good jokes. Like, they were really pouring into me. And they were saying, like, hey, like, IJ, like, you're a young pastor. We know all the things you're struggling with. We see you. We are here for you. And we're walking alongside you. You know, how great would it be if our church, the older, older generation can look at the younger generation and say, hey, I was in your shoes. I'm not going to bombard you with advice, but I'm here for you. You have what it takes. How great would it be if the married couples, the older married, or <clears throat> the more seasoned married couples in our church poured into the younger newlywed couples and say, hey, it's okay to fight. It's okay to not agree on things. We've been there just like you. You have what it takes. You are blessed. How great would it be if those who are having a difficult time trying to have their first child were to be mentored by those who have many children and say, we were there too. Don't worry, you have what it takes. How great would it be if those of us who have gone through divorce and are in, in their season of their life to look upon others who are struggling and say, hey, you're not alone in this. You've got what it takes. That's the kind of mentorship I'm talking about. You see, church, um, the ending of this movie of Spider-Man, a lot of people hated it. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. But the, the reason I thought it was great is because throughout the whole film, you see the struggle with parents versus kids, the older Spider-Man versus younger. You're constantly seeing this struggle, and it looks like they're not on the same page. But I love the ending of this film because it's not older versus younger. It's not this versus that. It's not the haves versus the have-nots. But they come together for a greater good. We see a bunch of these Spider-Man all from different universes, all from different ages, all from different shapes and sizes, they band together for the greater good. How much more are we as Christians called to band together for the greater good? As Christians, God is actually inviting us into this grand story of love and blessings. And it's not just with one another, but it's to the world. And the story of blessings and the story of impartation, of of prophecy and will, and the story of God's faithfulness, it actually doesn't end with Joshua. And thank God it doesn't end with Israel. Because if the story ended with Israel, it gets worse. Joshua might succeed, but after Joshua, the judges, they are terrible. Judges, maybe there was a good period, and then afterwards, the kings, they're terrible. The kings are terrible, and then there's a time of exile. And the time of exile, after the time of exile, there's a time of the temple period. And after the temple period, there's a time between the Old Testament and New Testament where there's nothing going on. And then in the time of the New Testament, Israel crucifies Christ. If that was the end of the story, it would be a bloody bath. It'd be terrible. But the story, the story of God, the story of blessings, the story of faithfulness, it eternally begins with Jesus. It eternally begins with Jesus. And this is what I'm trying to get at. I'm going to read for us John 20, 21 to 22. But 
as we see in Joshua how God is blessing us, that is not the end of our story. I'm going to read for us John 20, 21 to 22. This is what he says. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Joshua and Israel were blessed by God, but Jesus is making us the very blessings of God. That is the beauty of the story of Christ that as God blesses Adam and Eve, that God blesses Abraham, God blesses Moses, Joshua, Jesus is blessing us, you and me, to receive his spirit, to go, to go and make disciples of an all and every nation, to go, because we're not just children who are looking for blessings, but we are children of blessings. We are the very blessings God is imparting to the world. What if we as a church... What if we were imparting the very blessings of God to one another? How great and beautiful would that be if our church was a church of blessing? What if we were a church that were instilling God's faithfulness to one another? That regardless of generational gap, regardless of what stage of life you're at, that you are to say, I see you, I know what you're going through, and I'm here for you. What if we were a church that banded together to be a blessing to the world? Because that's what God calls us to be. Church, I want to invite you, and my prayer for us is may we live our lives from blessings. We're already blessed by God, and not live our lives for blessings, working to be loved. Let's pray. Hmm. God of grace, mercy, and love. We live in a real cold world at times. We live in a world full of shame. We live in a world full of hatred. We live in a world that tells us we need to do certain things. We live in a world where you, your worth, your value is determined by what college you went to. And maybe some of the youth group kids just feel the weight of the world on their shoulders. We live in a world where people are rushed into marriage. And maybe some of our single folks, they just feel the burden and baggage of feeling like a leper in their own church. Maybe feeling like, man, maybe something's wrong with me. We live in a world where for our newlywed couples, Maybe sometimes the enemy gives a lie that we have got to only be with newlywed couples or only with married people. Maybe sometimes we live in a world where the enemy speaks lies to parents saying there's something wrong with you as a parent if your child does not turn out X, Y, and Z. God, we live in a world where we shame, we shame people for not having this perfect marriage we live in a world that is told, you are what you do. And once you stop doing, once you retire, you're just not enough. But Father God, in, in your name, I rebuke all of that. I rebuke any spirit, any lies that are saying, you are not enough. Because we just read from your word, Joshua didn't even go into the land yet, but you're blessing him. 
Joshua didn't even overtake the Canaanites, but you're already saying, I'm giving it to you, man. Joshua did not lead like Moses did, but God is already instilling him and saying, you got what it takes. Be strong and courageous. So Father God, I, I pray blessings. I impart your will, your heart to our congregation that we have what it takes, that we are blessed, that with or without these credentials, we are good enough, that with or without this amount of work experience, we are enough, that with or without a spouse, we are enough, that with or without a home, we are blessed and loved and we are enough. Father, I, I, I ask and I pray, Lord, that our church, we will live our lives from blessings and never fight for it. Thank you. In your name, amen.